0: Welcome back to the program. Been looking forward to talking with Dr. Naomi Wolf, prolific author, high-impact feminist, and now out with a new book, The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human. Dr. Wolf, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Great. It's great to to know you. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, I think uh, increasingly those of us who are on the right side of the political fence— um, are finding commonality with those of you who, like you, who I think is fair to say, are on the left side of the political fence. Uh, yeah. The political fence, and I think COVID nineteen yeah. has really uh, has really brought some alignment between those two camps. What say you?
1: Um, well, that's a nice way to put it. Uh, the people are uniting. Um, I hope you're right. It's definitely the case that I think more and more people realize that. Um, what we're facing is more us versus you know them versus us. I should say you know, oligarchs and big tech companies and the World Economic Forum and um, and 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 other bad actors are uh, kind of aligned against um, the people and the people you know on the left and on the right. I and mean, that it's more important for us to unite to save our republics than to. Uh, right now,
0: be divided
2: by the things
1: that that we don't agree
0: on. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's amazing right, I mean, how sorry. it's amazing how our classical liberal values that really brought us to the greatest country and constitution. You know, based on freedom with limited government. Um, You know, has seemed to been lost on the left. You know, that used to be the ones advocating for freedom of speech and you know, nice discourse and don't tell me what to do. Well, boy, we saw the elites telling us what to do for a good. Looks as though they've gotten. There's no. There's no quenching their thirst for power. I think that's one of the themes of the book, isn't it?
1: Yeah, um, the book's argument is basically that. The pandemic of the last two years was a, provided a pretext for this loosely aligned group of, you know, evildoers to, um, to kind of make war against, uh, against the West, against the, actually the people of the whole world, but particularly against the West, um, against America, uh, against American children, and to um, reconfigure our world so that uh, we, are, we no longer have the freedoms that we used to and uh, especially, you know, it was a pretext for, for tech companies to reconfigure our world and we've been largely successful so that we the human beings kind of have to ask permission of technology to be human. And so if you look at um, the, the policies of the last couple of years uh, that are ostensibly pandemic policies, they really don't make sense medically. Um, they don't make sense to stop COVID like lockdowns didn't make any difference as it turns out like the data are in um, masking barely makes a difference but it does uh, suppress children's iq points um, by uh, an average of, of 21 points according to a brown university study um distancing doesn't make a, a medical difference but what all these things do is that they uh crush the middle class um you know if you can't Engage in commerce if you can 't buy and sell um, you know there's there's millions and millions of dollars going to amazon if you're a you know if you 're a small business and and you can't open your doors but also you know when kids can 't be in a an in person classroom with human teachers and students um, Then, you know, education technology companies make a fortune uh, when people can't, you know, gather to go to a bookstore or to to engage in worship um, at a church or synagogue, um, you know, then then Zoom and the other platforms where people are forced to uh, virtually assemble um, makes a fortune. And of course, um, you know, the injections are part of this because, uh, you know, we, we are finding out and the Pfizer documents show that, these mRNA injections really don't work um, but, and they have horrible side effects. But what they do is provide a pretext for vaccine passports that then, you know, allow, allow these big tech companies and oligarchs to track us and to switch us off and on, basically, um, as, as we're seeing in other parts of the world. So that's the basic argument. And, yeah, that is, a, you know, that is a scary um, reality that is beyond left and right. Yeah, it's
0: going to be hard to reel back in. I I know you were, as far as I can tell, still are suspended on Twitter for some anti-vax, uh, you know, opinions and, and and tweets that you made. Um,
1: what, well, where um, do you? I just jump in there. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I do think to be clear, I, am, I I have been called anti-vax. I'm not anti-vax, but these mRNA injections are. Um, you know, I'm being a reporter, and yeah, I've been suspended from Twitter for a year. Uh, the... the the proximate cause of my suspension on Twitter was that I posted Ralph, Dr. Ralph Barrick's publicly available uh, CD showing that the NIH had um, given millions of dollars to for gain-of-function research, which at that time Dr. Fauci was claiming was not true. So, right. um, you know, I was just being a reporter.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to I want to make it clear where my stance is on, on mRNA vaccines, because I got the and got boosted because I'm oh, over 60 and, you know, a little overweight and have some hypertension. And I I can tell you, I, I, I am confident in the data that uh, for most people, especially in high risk groups of death or casket. I’m sorry, ICU or casket. and so it certainly doesn’t prevent disease, uh, you know, like we had hoped, but I think there is some mitigation of the ravages, at least of the older variants. I think Omicron it doesn’t apply to. But aside from that, I, I wanted to I wanted to drill down on the whole notion of this 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 discussion about, the, the privately owned companies, some libertarians, pure libertarians say, well, you can't tell Twitter whether they can suspend Naomi Wolf or not. You can't legislate that because they're a private company and they can do what they want. And and others say, well, wait a minute, though, they're they They have become essentially a public utility, just like the old, you know, Ma Bell. And there was an antitrust mm-hmm. breakup of them. Where, where do you rebut that argument of it's a private company and they can do what they want? What's your answer to that?
1: Um, sure. So, I think that's correct. You know, obviously they are a private, they are a private company, but I would say that it it's less an issue of like. Like a public utility, but more um, like a utility. And what I mean is that um, the phone company doesn't disconnect you. You know, they're private, ATT is private, license, private, but they don't disconnect you when you're saying something that, uh, you know, someone in, in, in that corporation might not like. And so I would say that um, it should be these companies should be treated like the phone company and um you know treated as not like not like publishers um mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like platforms of communication. And I you know I run a tech company myself and um I, you know, I, I recognize that it's it's not up to me to decide. I mean here's here's an example. The company we have um Daily Cloud provides access to legislation. Uh, legislative, um, database. And it's, you know, it's like if I were to make it harder for people to find a pro life bill than a pro choice bill, because I happen to be pro choice, um, I've no right to do that. You know, I'm, I'm providing service. And, um, I, I think in the case of tech companies, it's, it's clear that, I mean, they're, we're actually suing Twitter and and the other sites that me but they've deplatformed a, a bunch of important um, critics, uh, medical critics of these lockdowns and and people bringing just important information about the vaccines. And uh, it shouldn't be the business of um, giant businesses to um, moderate what Americans can say to each other. Um, so I, I I don't think you need to make a a philosophical argument. Um, I think a practical argument that, you know, these companies are, are like the phone company is, is, um, less, less contentious because I do agree that people should be able to do what they want with their businesses.
0: Talking with Naomi Wolf, uh, founder of daily clout, dot IO and, uh, also author of the book, the bodies of others, the new authoritarians, COVID-19 and the war against the human. So if I, as a pro-lifer wanted to, um, uh, by the way I would never uh plan parenthood but we're seeing a lot of violence from groups like Jane's Revenge and others uh <laughs> against against uh you know uh, the 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 uh you know the the pro birth uh clinics that are out there the parenthood clinics for instance the parenting mm-hmm. clinics um could I could I submit an article to Daily Cloud and would you publish it
1: I'd uh, love to <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, if you wear what you wish for, you can submit all you want. We'd absolutely love it. Yeah. I mean we, look, you know, you started the conversation, um, you know, raising the issue of how 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 divided we are right now. I've in my lifetime I've never seen this country so divided. And uh when we're this divided, it really just makes us more vulnerable to our adversaries. And, you know, I go into a lot of detail in the book about how China wants us to be weak. China wants our kids to not be like American kids anymore and so on. Well, in order to be united again, we have to have forums where people can, you know, hear the other side and civilly debate and civilly disagree the way we used to as Americans. And so absolutely, you know, we just ran a pro-gun op-ed and after having run a gun control op-ed, you know, we we just ran, um, my associate editor said, uh, you know, ran a piece about how men can be victims of domestic violence and a reader was, you know, taken aback by this and wanted to make the case that, you know, we should keep the focus on women as victims of domestic violence. And we ran, you know, we ran his, his uh, yeah. opposing piece. So we absolutely have to hear each other again. And, you know, the trouble is that, that these algorithms make this worse, right? Because if we're, I mean, one of the arguments of the book is that we were kept in our homes so that reality could be manipulated around us. And by these tech companies, and, and that we would be kept in fear, and especially that the you know the pandemic could be um, represented as being more widespread and serious than that was, you know, not to trivialize it, um, but one of the effects of keeping us in our homes and driving us onto social media instead of letting us just assemble in bars and restaurants and, you know, in in going to church and going to places you used to gather with our neighbors is that literally now right-wingers think people on the left don't know what a woman is. And people on the left think that, you know, all conservatives are racist, homophobic, insurrectionists um, because they're never encountering each other. Um, And, yeah, that really serves the people who are trying to turn us into a what I call a post-humane, post-American society. Um, so, yes, we will publish your pro-life view anytime.
0: Well, and I thought it was interesting. I'm I'm looking at an article right now on dailyclout.io called, Is Morality Possible Without God? Regardless, it's more possible it's more likely with him is the subtitle. So I mean it's 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 great that you, you know, have this what I would it's a beautiful classical liberal type of a of a worldview. At least that's what I'm gathering from our conversation, from everything I can read and everything I've heard you say all over broadcast and print media. And I, I wish we could return okay. to that kind of a of a sensibility in America, I think uh, it would we'd be in a lot better place, like you say, to defend ourselves against enemies within and without. Uh, one final thing, as an advocate for women throughout your your professional career, um, the Leah Thomas story and all about you know uh, biological males, uh, uh, especially after puberty, who have converted. Um, competing against women, it's really undoing uh, a lot of advances that women's sports and other, uh, you know, had had. had. Where do you stand on that whole issue?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I guess, respectfully, what I would say is that the trans issue seems to me like one of those issues that really affects so few people in this case uh, that I see it being used as, as a wedge issue to develop, you know, to be, to divide us, um, but you know, I recognize that there's some some real problems there with uh, with the situation you've described, and, and I guess I would say that um, because I am a big supporter of trans rights and LGBTQ rights, and you know, that's an American thing, right, that we don't discriminate against people. But in this case, you're right; it poses a problem. Uh, To me, you know, people of goodwill could come up with another way to categorize sports, so that, for instance, there's you know men's competition, women's competition, and a third category for people who, you know, are are in a you know different weight class or a different you know physiological uh, situation, and then they're competing against each other, other people of that you know weight and size. I mean, sports are kind of artificial.
0: You know, it's interesting. I was talking with someone yesterday and I we, we actually came up With exactly that solution. Let's just have a league for trans individuals. Yeah. Well, talk about great minds. Well, no, yours is a great mind, and I'm trying to be one. And I mean that very, very seriously. Uh, I would refer people to your book, your website, Dr. Naomi Wolf, the book, Bodies of Others, the New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against Human, and the website, dailyclout.io. Great, great stuff, Naomi. Thanks for being with me. I really appreciate the time.
1: I appreciate you giving me the chance to talk about
0: these things. Thank you so right. much, and have a wonderful day. Hey, you too. There she is, Dr. Naomi Wolf. Your reaction to that interview and her stance, 314-912-1019. appreciated. I'd like to have you weigh in on that. News Talk STL, 1019 941 We look at both sides, and then you should comment. Join the program. We'll talk to you after the break.
2: If the is by you, I was Andy Tobler, Truth Warrior, Woke Destroyer, on News Talk STL.
0: Welcome back to the program. Look forward to talking always, and uh, we've connected a couple times in the past. It's been a while, but I always look forward to talking to Dr. Jane Orient. Um, just uh, one of the nation's premier um, advocates for the doctor-patient relationship and uh, fighting, fighting, fighting against the erosion of it as the executive director of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons since 1989 and currently president of Doctors for Disaster Preparedness um, and author of a of, a, of a, a great piece we saw uh, called Should We Cancel Father's Day? And on this Father's Day weekend, we thought we'd talk about that and where medicine's going and where medicine's going wrong. Jane, how you doing? Thanks for joining me. Well, it's great to be with you. I tell you, I'm a real fan of the organization, and I know you guys uh, fight an uphill battle against the Leviathan that is federal government and large commercial insurance uh, assault against uh, doctors and patients. And it's doing nothing, but uh, this turnstile medicine is doing nothing but eroding the quality of patient care. I just want to really commend you for all your efforts over the years.
2: Well, thank you. It seems like we're we are standing almost by ourselves because big medicine like the AMA and so on are very much in the corporate medicine and also woke category and they really do not do anything to protect the physician patient relationship. Yeah. You know, I
0: lament the fact every time I get a mailing from the American College of OBGYN or the American Board of OBGYN, the certifying board, um, Everything now is talking about uh, pregnant uh, people and birthing persons. And I mean, I just, it is just, I, I I get angry at one point and sad at the other point. And I think that, that relates to what you were writing about, about Father's Day. Uh, we're now talking about chest feeding instead of breastfeeding. It is, it is Orwellian at least,
2: no? Oh, I think so. And I don't know if they've come up with a, a name for... For so the father, what, are we going to have a sperm donor's day? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you're
0: right. I mean, sperm donor's day, uh, ejaculator's day. I mean, I don't know. Where does this end? This is just going crazy. And it's it's disrespectful to... Fathers and mothers across the country who know what that role is—the hard work that's put in towards child rearing, and uh, and oh, the economic sacrifice that people make to support their children—you know—and uh, to be just sort of disregarded in some kind of a crazy, you know, bin that uh, the woke want to want to create. Um, I don't know.
2: Uh, yeah, well, we know where it ends. It ends in the destruction of society. And I think yeah. that is the motive. Because if you do not have, have people making children and defending them and protecting them and raising them to respect the law, to know about our culture, and to carry on life in a virtuous manner, then we're just going to be in the dustbin of history like a lot of other societies.
0: Yeah, you write uh, about Anthony Esselin uh, of A Future Beyond One's Old Life, um, um, a poet. Why do men work? No, you, said you write about the poet Charles Pegway. Why do men work if not for their children? The father throws himself away in hope looking forward to the time when he will be no more on earth than a name or a rumor of a name. And um, that's, that's, that's really poignant. It really is truly
2: well, I think I'd, that's my experience with my own father. Why was he up on the roof in hundred and ten degree heat mopping roofs, if not to support his children? Yeah,
0: yeah. I uh, my father passed away in February, and so this is a difficult Father's Day for uh, for me and my brother and sister, and of course our families. Um, but Dad worked uh, as a school teacher. A music teacher and then would come home from teaching, go to the basement and teach private lessons. And then he was a working musician in St. Louis for years and years and years. And he would then go out and play a a band job, three jobs. So that he could support three children and a, and a traditional uh, homemaker mom who had an occasional job at the church or, oh, for a while, mom worked at the butcher shop, you know, to bring in some extra bucks uh, just to, to make ends meet. A highly traditional family. And and that somehow is now considered as anathema in modern day America. My God, what are you talking about? A traditional family where, you know, dad supports the family and mom nurtures the children at home. how Oh, pray tell, how could you ever imagine such a thing? <laughs>
2: it's unbelievable, isn't it? Well, it seems to be. Maybe mother and father are going to become, become obscene words like in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. I mean, think of all the things that father and mother are giving up. They're not out drinking or taking drugs or having sex in a, in a promiscuous situation. Instead, they're at home toiling away, seeing to their children, teaching their children, making sure that their children are behaving themselves I mean what are what are we going to have if we do not have a, a home where children can be confident that things are stable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know and uh, you know we see the we see the birth rates going down in this country and uh, in western Europe. Um, We see more and more people delaying, um, you know, fertility until I see see the problems where then they can't have babies. Um, And and I don't know where it's all going to lead. You know, we just got off the phone with the Naomi Wolf, who interestingly we had a lot more in common than i thought we would have she's a feminist she's an activist she's clearly she's pro pro-choice but at the same time she runs a website where she said i'd be welcome to, to write a pro-life article and she has a an article posted now that says is morality possible without God?" subtitle regardless it's more likely with him and i think there was a time in this country where you could disagree with someone and you could still get along, but things now are so polarized. If I have a different opinion than, a, say, a pro-choicer or I'm a traditional family kind of guy, it's this hostility now and this just demonization of the other side. Do you see any coming together uh, and, and
2: tolerance of everyone's views or not? I think that if you have... A view that is wrong, it is destructive, it leads only to death, then how can you compromise with it?
1: Yeah.
0: But, but there's difference between assaulting the view and assaulting the person with the view. And what I feel coming from the left is... You know, if you hold a view that we all know is uh, anthropologically, sociologically, biblically time honored, more likely to result in the success in this case of a of a child in a family that's a nuclear traditional family. We know that. Um, But somehow you're an evil person if you propose that that is the best option. And uh, I don't see any time soon when we're going to get away from that kind of hostility coming from those that are anti-traditional values.
2: I, I don't think so either. They are becoming more and more vicious, more and more violent. And I I think that if if you know deep down in your heart that what you're saying is not true and that if the truth gets out, no one's going to believe you anymore, then maybe that's what you resort to.
0: Ah, so I'm hearing you say desperation leads to desperate maneuvers and desperate um, act- activities such as violence. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And we've seen that certainly from groups like Jane's Revenge and Ruth Sent Us uh, in terms of this uh, this uh, life versus abortion argument. I know that for sure. Um, if we can switch gears and talk about the state of medical care, uh, because I know that's that's um, what you live, eat, and breathe. Um the number of employed doctors is going up. The number of independent doctors, which your organization you know advocates for, is going down. Um, we are seeing uh, influx and and some some health in the direct primary care space. Where do you see this going? And is it is it largely dependent on who's in office or not?
2: I think it's going to increasing destruction of the patient-physician relationship. I think everybody agrees that medical care is really worse and getting worse faster and faster that their doctors do not care about them that the doctors have to respect the people who pay their, their bills which are managed care companies that are disguised as insurance companies that are really telling the doctors what they can do, what they can't do, what they have to put in the charts uh, w- what doctors you can refer people to And doctors are going along with it. I mean, most of them are up to their ears in debt and they don't know of any other way. And they're terrified of losing their job. And so they go along with the drop down menu on the, on the electronic medical record.
0: (laughs) Boy, you couldn't have said it better. I, I remind people all the time, they don't know this, but most employed doctors have an incentive clause in their contract. Well, first of all, their base salary is based on an expectation of seeing so many patients or a patient visit translated into points like auto body repair into you know hours of labor done. A quarter panel is this and a clear coat's that and you add it up and that's what the bill is. And so they have to pr- produce what are called relative value units that came up. Wasn't that a Harvard mathematician that came up with the Work product equation for docs, a Harvard mathematician of all people,
2: right? Yeah, the resource-based relative value scale, it's a Marxist labor theory of value incorporated into medicine, where if there's not a code for it, it, you don't get paid for it, and you have to have the right code, or you could actually go to prison being accused of fraud. And this was imposed on the medical profession with the full collaboration of the AMA, which makes money from, from the books that doctors have to have mm-hmm. to, to uh, bill for their services. And, it's, and we uh, spend
0: a lot of time uh, guessing on which code. I, I spend hours trying to figure out I, I know what I want to say, often using my old-fashioned, I learned it at WashU you know, in the 80s, uh, the Latin terms for this or that, and oh, I can't find that. Now they're using plain uh, English terms which don't always describe exactly what I want to say, but I peck and poke and try to find it, and I spend maddening hours trying to find the right code because if there's not a code, you can't send a bill. People don't know that, and they know that doctors will then be incentivized if they get a certain number of these relative value work units above their base pay, they make more money. And I'm not impugning these doctors, they're not bad people. It's just that they're incentivized wrong and they're distracted wrong, and it's a disaster for patient care.
2: I know of one man who is the office manager for his wife in a Spanish-speaking area, a low-income, low, low income, where they were desperate for doctors. He spent a year in the county jail because he wrote down the wrong code for office visit. Mm. Office visit, and, you know, I've read about this, and, you know, I can't figure out what these codes mean. I mean, what he put down was perfectly rational, according to what it says in the book, but you get a, a hostile witness against you and a judge mm. that hates physicians. And this man was in jail for a year. So I decided I can't figure these out. I got a degree in mathematics. I can't figure out these codes. I'm not going to do them. And which means that I cannot accept any money from Medicare.
0: Yeah, and I think more and more of uh, patients are aligning with docs who don't accept insurance. Uh, they'll they'll give you a bill that says what they did in some cases, but they don't take insurance, they don't take Medicare, and uh, you have a direct relationship with them. It's like a subscription service, and you can pay, or some doctors do a la carte kind of payments, um, some do a hybrid method, but that way, the doc is accountable to the patient receiving the care, just like when you go and you get service at a restaurant. The rest Restaurant and the server and the cooks in the back are accountable to you. And that, what's wrong with that? We do that in every other interaction in life. I hope that more and more we can return to that. Are you a fan of direct primary care and other
2: re- arrangements like that? Uh, yes, I mean I don't do that myself, and it has certain drawbacks. I, I like the à la carte method. I think there's there's a certain problem with getting paid in advance. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. For services that you may or may not or may have to render, but a lot of people do that. It is very very affordable. It gives yes. patients access to their doctor. They can get lab tests at a reasonable cost. They can get prescription medicines dispensed from the doctor's office at cost. And it is it is a growing and very very uh, valuable form of practice.
0: And whether you pay on an a la carte basis or whether you have a subscription plan, uh, there are now uh, health uh, care sharing plans for the more catastrophic things that uh, you know that you may need. Um, and that was, if there was anything that slipped under the radar in Obamacare, it was that uh, you can access those plans as well. And so the yes, combination. Yes, I've been a member of, of one
2: that, of them for years, and I send a check once a month to a person who has a medical need that that person can use to pay medical bills. And yeah. I, f- I find and it's it a- very g- good to be helping a person instead of feeding this insurance monster. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And boy, so many uh, small rural hospitals like the one I lead are, are looking now whether they can continue certain service lines. And uh, uh, and you look at the profits uh, that uh, the government makes off of our taxes <laughs> with their bureaucracy and the profits that the insurance companies make. And uh, many little hospitals and doctors facilities are, are going broke because it's just uh, the payment you get from the third party payers uh, after their big carve out for profits. And uh, not that profits are bad, but I mean, it's just uh, it's a middle- Man that is 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 really starving. Again, that patient doctor relationship. Um, well, I I really have enjoyed the visit with you, and always uh, get a get a, a, a highly valued time when we're together. Thank you so much for being with me, Jane Orient, Executive Director uh, of a fabulous fabulous group, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons (AAPS). Thanks so much. Have a great Father's Day weekend.
2: You too. OK,
0: there she is, Jane Orient. Your thoughts about our conversation coming up as we wrap it up here, this next segment. 314-912-1019, the number on 1019 941 Talk We're the Tober Show. We'll wrap it up right after this. Well, you know, there's a lot of negative news about the inflation and uh, the coming recession. I don't think it's an if, it's when. That's probably already here. We don't know it until the numbers come out the following quarter. So when the numbers come out uh, here in June, we'll uh, well, I guess it'll be released in July, the second quarter numbers. If we have two negative quarters in a row of GDP, okay, by definition, it's a recession. But I think many of us are feeling it. And we can get down on our dauber. But you know what? If you want to use the analogy of the the Jimmy Carter years, I think that maybe we should hearken back to... uh, to our friend Ronald Reagan who uh, who nailed it after Jimmy Carter was waffling well it's not really a re- it's not a depression it's really a recession remember how bad it was during those years for those of you who were around then i was as a young teenager uh, take a listen to what Ronald Reagan said about Jimmy Carter
2: let it show on the record that when the american people cried out for economic help jimmy carter took refuge behind a dictionary well if it's a definition if it's a definition he wants I'll give him one a recession is when your neighbor loses his job a depression is when you lose yours and recovery is when Jimmy Carter loses his
0: (laughs) Well, I think we can all look forward to that day. Maybe it'll come sooner than 24. The way they're jumping off of the Joe Biden bandwagon, uh, the New York Times article says insiders are saying, "Give Joe the hook for 24." Uh, will it get bad enough that they will somehow pull pull the rug under from out of from underneath him? Of course, Kamala's in the in the uh, in the wings, and that's maybe even worse. I'm not sure, but you know, Joe Biden shows increasing evidence. Uh, that's that cut about Joe talking to us, uh, 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 Max, if you can get that up. Um, Joe was yelling at the ALCIO the other day. He was giving a speech. And he just is showing increasing signs, uh, frankly, of not being in control of his faculties. Listen to the outburst when he talked to the AFL-CIO the other day.
2: By the end of the fiscal year, we will have cut the
0: federal deficit by another $1.6 trillion in one year. Yeah, one year. So (laughs) when they come to you and talk about big spenders, let them know. Almost two trillion dollars in deficit reduction. I don't want to hear any more of these lies about <laughs> reckless spending. We're changing people's lives. <laughs> I don't want to hear anymore. We're changing people's lives. Yeah, you're changing people's lives, all right, and not for the better, Uncle Joe. It's not the truth. I just I think we we hearken back to the days of Reagan and, and look, even Bill Clinton. They had an amiable style about them. They had a style that was engaging personally, and they were able to talk across the aisle. Yeah, Bill Clinton was dragged kicking and screaming by Newt Gingrich when it came to uh, criminal, uh, you know, to to criminal justice reform and, and Medicaid reform. But nonetheless, they got along. Reagan got along, and they used humor. Well, now comes Ron DeSantis. And I think he's maybe the closest thing to that statesman that sticks to his guns in terms of policy, but is capable of a little humor now and then. Here's Ron DeSantis the other day having fun with the fact that Elon Musk said he could maybe vote for Ron DeSantis.
2: So what I would say, um, you know, I'm focused on 2022, uh, but with Elon Musk, what I
0: would say is, you know, I welcome support from African-Americans. What can I say? (laughs) Now, of course, that's that joke has has, you know, made it around the, you know, the media and the Twitter and that's been out there. But it was great that he got out there and said it and showed some humor. I think America's thirsting for an authentic Um, happy warrior i mean that that was ronald reagan right he was the happy warrior um and and that plus that america first agenda i think is a fabulous way to put things together and potentially build a coalition that is able to right this ship um certainly the inflation and where the blame is placed should be firmly squarely on the shoulders of joe biden Other than Steve Ratner said that, he's a former Obama Treasury Secretary or Treasury Advisor. Uh, So he's no friend to Republicans. But the Republicans have properly said, look, Joe, you're largely responsible for this inflation, piling more money onto it, making that debt that you're now reducing and that deficit you're reducing so large. Really? And now you gloat over reducing it? Well, you. $2 two million dollars, make it six million dollars if Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema hadn't uh, stood by their guns. Here's Steve Ratner on inflation
1: there are several culprits. There's Biden and what he's done, and it's not irrelevant, but it's not. And, the, what, and, and what is that? Well, that is all the spending, basically. Yeah, the, the, the American the, Rescue the Plan. The, the $1,400 checks, the $2 trillion that you and I have talked about a lot that's on the sidelines. Half of that's government money that we gave people to spend, and now they're trying to spend it so you get inflation. Yeah. Uh, and as we talked about the other day, left to its own devices, the administration would have proposed another $4 trillion of programs with taxes, but nonetheless, they right. still would have. Uh, had. But, but that's one issue
0: how disingenuous of biden to talk about his massive deficit reduction well of course if you go out and put you know a tesla and uh you know a a new porch on the house on your credit card in 21 and then in 22 you decide not to do that and have an austerity program well yeah you've reduced the family deficit the family spending but that's but that's referencing to an outrageous, just money burning a hole in your pockets kind of an approach. The year before, uh, it's crazy. Now, Max, finally, I got to ask you: um, Have you ever had anyone with whom you didn't get along? Maybe even when you're younger. Maybe you had really sort of a person that just absolutely was a just an antagonist, and you just didn't get along. Maybe even publicly, you had words. You know? Oh, sure, absolutely. Would you ever then? Feel as though you were really on good footing to ask them for a favor to maybe, you know, give you a a ride to pick up your car or everything. It's awkward when you do that. Yeah, Probably not. I would probably try to find someone else. Well, Corrine Jean-Pierre doesn't think that that's the case. She she and the Biden administration, after they've been kicking big oil in the teeth uh, during the campaign and beyond, now they're asking for some help. Listen.
1: We are calling on them to do the right thing, to be patriots here, uh, and not to use the war uh, as an excuse or as a as a reason uh, to not put to not put out a production, not to not do the capacity that is needed out there, uh, so that the prices can so that the prices can come down.
0: I'm sorry. That takes some. I don't know. Corrine John. I don't think she has cojones, but if she did, they're big patriots. Really? That's what you're going to throw at somebody. Wow. And and then big oil was invited to a meeting uh, with uh, the energy department. To, to have a discussion about increasing refinery production and drilling and everything. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. For one, I don't know what I would do. Maybe it's a passive-aggressive thing on my part, and there comes a point where I'm like, I'm not going to talk to you. Why would I show up at a meeting after you kicked me in the teeth? They came out with a 10-point plan that said, hey... Right-size your regulations. Let us do pipelines. Let us do others. I mean, enough, 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 guys. Don't kick us in the teeth and then tell us to produce oil. Well, I'm confident that we Americans that know traditional values will always be the right way. Faith, family, and freedom will get us there. And that will always bless this country. Hey, bless all you fathers out there. Bless the USA. We'll talk about it more next week on The Randy Tobler Show. Thanks for being with me.
2: The beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea With a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me As he died to make men whole